This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 139. I want to take a moment right now to thank all of my listeners for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcasts. So for this week's episode, I wanted to talk about a couple of ways that you can improve your post-processing performance and a recent change that I made along these same lines. So as you know, if you're somebody that does photography, whether you're a hobbyist, amateur, or pro, uh, one of the struggles that we all face is our post-processing workflow and how to speed things up, make it quicker to process those images that we've captured, especially if you're processing raw files, because like me, you choose to shoot in raw instead of JPEG. Now, one of the first ways that you can significantly improve your processing workflow is to put additional RAM or memory into your computer. And it doesn't matter if it's a Mac or a Windows system, most computers can have the memory upgraded. It can be an upgradable item. Now, I'm not going to say all because one of the things that Apple has done in the recent in the last few years that kind of pisses me off is they tend to, especially on their Mac minis and their MacBook Pros, they tend to solder everything onto the motherboard or as they call it, the logic board. Um, so there is no way to upgrade the memory after the fact, uh, which I don't like at all. I prefer to be able to upgrade my stuff myself just because it's more cost effective. Now, the reason why I say that is when you go to, let's say you go on apple.com to buy a new MacBook Pro to use for your photo or video editing, and you can get, let's say, the base model with a 256 gigabyte hard drive and eight gigabytes of RAM. Now, that eight gigabytes of RAM may not be enough to do what you want to do and keep things chugging along at a brisk pace. Well, now, uh, as of the last few years, Apple doesn't allow you to upgrade your RAM yourself anymore. In the older days, um, when I first started using Mac computers and laptops, you could flip the laptop upside down. You could remove a bunch of screws from the, the bottom side of the laptop housing, take off that lower aluminum plate, and you could actually get access to the memory card slots like an, on any PC laptop. And you could take out the current slots and put in bigger ones up to the maximum capacity that the motherboard would handle. Well, like I said, nowadays you can't do that. Apple tends to solder everything in place, and that's because they want you to pay them for the upgrade when you buy the laptop, when you order it. Now, the downside of that is they tend to hyperinflate the price for the upgrades. And to give you an example, as I mentioned a moment ago, let's say you're looking to get a 13-inch MacBook Pro. Uh, you don't need the 16-inch model. The 13-inch will do the trick, and you want to be fairly uh, compact and stealth with you know all the stuff you got to carry out in the field and stuff like that. Um, but let's say you decide, well, I don't know if 8 gigs of RAM is going to be enough for me. Maybe I should go with 16. Well, to upgrade to 16 gigs of RAM, that's like a $400 upgrade 
to have Apple put uh, sell you a model with 16 gigs already in it, solder to the motherboard instead of 8 gigs. And to me, that's ridiculously expensive because if you have a laptop like a PC laptop or one of the older MacBooks where you can upgrade the RAM yourself, you quickly learn that if you go to a place like Micro Center, if you have those in your in your state, in your area, which is a computer and electronics parts and supply store, um, or if you go on Amazon or if you go online to any one of a number of RAM uh, resellers, you can buy that 16 gigs of RAM significantly cheaper. Uh, Apple will charge you, like I said, a $400 upgrade price, and you could probably go to Micro Center and go to the memory aisle uh, where they keep computer memory and find the the 16 gig DIMMs is what they call them, and pay maybe 50 bucks for 16 gigs instead of 400. Uh, so <laughs> it's a significant difference in price. Now. Um, and they and they're doing the same thing nowadays with the with the hard drives in their in their laptops and even in the Mac Mini desktops as well. They're soldering everything to the motherboard. So in the older Mac Minis, you could get an older Mac Mini all the way up through the 2012 model. Um, they changed it in 2014. Then I, I I haven't bought one until recently. So I heard they changed it back in like the 2016 or 18 model, allowing customers to upgrade the hard drive at least themselves. But now I think they've changed it back again with the 2020 version to where the hard drive is soldered onto the motherboard and you can't upgrade it yourself. And that was something you could do yourself fairly easily. And one of the best ways that you could improve your post-processing performance would be to take your existing computer, instead of buying a new computer, take your existing computer, remove the standard old-style platter hard drive, um, which uh, the older hard drives are basically had a series of platters that were stacked, and it had a read-write head that was kind of like a set of fingers that would pass between the platters, and it would read the data and write the data to those disks. And it was kind of similar to, uh, for lack of a better reference, um, an old-style record player. In a, in a manner of speaking. Um, and then, of course, uh, one of the re, uh, downsides of that was the platter hard drives were slower, are slower, especially compared to a solid-state drive. Now, you did have the platter drives in different speeds. A lot of times, the 2.5-inch size hard drives, which were commonly used in laptops, um, could be as slow as 5,400 RPMs um, or you might be able to get one that's 7,200 RPMs. And in some of the later later computers, you could even get 10,000 RPM hard drives. And that just has to do with how fast the, the platters turn or spin and how quickly you can read and write data to them. So that would be a fixed speed, of course. So that if you could get a faster speed hard drive, then you could read and write uh, faster and get slightly better performance. So that was always a plus. Uh, with solid-state hard drives, though, there are no moving parts. One of the easiest ways you can think of a solid-state hard drive is it's basically like a big memory stick. Only instead of being volatile RAM, uh, like the standard RAM in your computer, the memory in your computer, where uh, when you turn off the power, everything dumps out of the RAM and it's gone, um, the SSD is non-volatile RAM. So in other words, once you write the data to it, it stays there until you delete it. So even if you power your computer off, the data is still there, just like it would be on a, on a physical platter hard drive. So no difference there. Now, the big difference is the performance, because where the platter hard drives would 
like I said, the revolutions per minute would be 5,400 or 7,200 or 10,000. You don't have to worry about that with a solid state hard drive because there are no moving parts. And the solid state hard drives, a typical solid state hard drive has speeds of, let's say, 6 gigabits per second, which is considerably faster than a few hundred megabits a second or a couple of hundred megabits a second on the older style platter hard drives. So right there, you can see a significant difference and a significant performance increase in your post-processing if your computer is able to read and write the data on and off that solid-state hard drive thousands of times faster than it could on the old platter-style hard drive. So that's going to be extremely beneficial to you and your post-processing workflow, and it's going to make everything go a lot faster, run a lot smoother. You're going to get more done in the same amount of, uh, of time with a faster hard drive like that. Now, how can I be certain that that will enhance everything you do on your computer? Well, I've been an IT professional as well as a photographer for over 30 years. And for many years, I custom built all of my own computers, what we call a white box system. Um, so before I made the switch to Mac computers, I used PCs, but I didn't run Windows. I ran an operating system called Linux, which is very similar to Mac OS. They're basically cousin operating systems. So, like I said, I know many of you may not have heard of solid state hard drives. Some of you have and some of you haven't. But trust me when I tell you that that is absolutely one of the best ways that you can improve the performance of your computer overall as well as your post-processing workflow speed is to replace that older platter style hard drive with a new solid state hard drive. Now, uh, again, one of the big things is it's going to free up um, the performance issue that's the, the lag in your performance that you suffer because of being limited to the speed of the platters inside the hard drive. Another benefit of using a solid state hard drive is your system's going to run cooler. Now, a lot of people don't realize that one of the components inside your computer that generates the most heat besides the central processing unit is the hard drive. So the hard drives do tend to get extremely warm, especially when you're doing a lot of read and writes to the disk, you're editing a lot of files, changing a lot of files, rewriting them back to the disk. That is one of the uh, one of the ways that your computer, one of the components in your computer that generates the most heat besides the central processing unit. So to give you an idea of how much faster your computer could be with a solid state hard drive, just as an example, by switching to a, a good solid state hard drive, and there's plenty of them out there made by different companies. You have Crucial, you have Samsung, you have all kinds of different computer or hardware companies that make solid state hard drives. But to give you an idea of the performance, let's say you were running Windows 10, uh, one of the most recent Windows operating systems. And let's say your laptop or your desktop is you know two, three years old now, and you've noticed that the performance is starting to suffer. Well, believe it or not, just by switching out to a solid state hard drive, you could breathe new life into that PC and continue using that same computer for quite a few more years before you'd have to replace it, before it would get to the point where it's getting worn out. And to give you an idea of how much of an improvement a solid state hard drive will give you, on average, a standard PC or even Mac computer with a solid state hard drive can boot from a 
from powered off or what we call a cold start to the completed desktop ready to use in anywhere between five and 10 seconds. So that's insanely fast. And if you just think about it, if it can, if your computer can boot that much faster with a solid state hard drive, just think how much faster it'll perform when you're actually doing things like your post-processing of your images. Now, to give you an idea of something I did a few years back is I bought a used Mac mini computer, a late 2012 model that I wanted to use as a secondary system. And one of the first things I did with it was I upgraded it. Now, like I mentioned at the top of this episode, the late 2012 Mac mini was the last Mac, one of the last Mac minis that you could do all of your own upgrades in fairly easily. You didn't have to be a tech guru to be able to do the upgrades on this system because it was fairly easy to do so. So I bought a late 2012 Mac mini and I bought one of the base models that only had four gigs of RAM and it had um, uh, a 256 gigabyte old style hard drive in it that the platter spun at 5200 RPMs. So the first thing I did was I went over to Micro Center and I bought 16 gigabytes of DDR RAM to put in it. So I upgraded the memory. And then I also bought a crucial MX200 series 500 gigabyte solid state hard drive in the two and a half inch form factor. Now the 500 gig hard drive only cost me $149. Now you got to realize this was a few years ago. So they've actually come down in price even more since then and again the nice thing about that particular model was you flipped it upside down it had a big plastic circle on the bottom of it that had two thumb notches in it so you could stick your thumbs in there and twist and you could pop that cover off and the memory slots were right there and then it wasn't too much work uh, with a screwdriver to take out a few screws move a few things out of the way and then be able to get the hard drive out to swap that out. So within a matter of 15, 20 minutes, I had this system upgraded and put it all back together and then booted it up, did a clean install of Mac, the latest version of Mac OS at the time and final cut, you know, Adobe Photoshop, Lightroom. And I had a smoking fast computer for a few extra dollars and a few minutes of my time. So it did make a significant difference. And I still actually have that Mac mini today. It's sitting right here on the desk as I'm recording this episode uh, next to my iMac, uh, which I recently retired, semi-retired. Um, and I'll get onto that more in, in a few minutes here. Uh, as a matter of fact, let me pause right here for a quick break and then I will be right back with you. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191, and you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com, and you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag. Hashtag Liam Photo Podcast. And now back to the show. And we're back. Okay, so continuing this week's episode. Now, I'm sure you're probably asking me as you're listening to this, well, how can I 
upgrade my current system? Well, if you're reasonably handy with a screwdriver, most people can replace a hard drive themselves. And then you could just restore your operating system and your applications from a recent backup, or you can do a clean install. Now, as I mentioned before, with an old style platter hard drive, a Windows 10 install can take an hour, hour and a half, two hours, just depending on how much stuff you have installed with it, how much you put on the system along with Windows and all of that. But on a solid state hard drive, just the Windows 10 operating system install, you can shave that install time down from an hour plus to 15 to 20 minutes tops from start to complete finish of the operating system install. Now, if you don't have the stomach for swapping out the hardware yourself, you can always find a local computer shop or a lot of people have a friend or a family member that tinkers with IT stuff or works in IT for a living like I do. And you could um, ask them about assisting you with this or doing it for you. Um, uh, depending on the situation, they may do it for you for free or for a reasonably small fee. Now, the other possibility is you could always go to somebody like Geek Squad at Best buy i don't recommend that and i'm not trying to be mean to the geek squad folks or best buy but i just think their pricing is astronomically high on basic computer labor related items um, i remember when i moved to georgia 15 years ago and one of the, the company i was working at, at the time one of my co-workers had her home computer the hard drive died she'd had it for three or four years and the hard drive crapped out on it and she needed to get another hard drive put in and she bought the hard drive herself she went to an online retailer and bought the right hard drive and everything bought a larger capacity one uh, but she didn't know how to install it herself and geek squad wanted to charge her like four hundred dollars to install her hard drive and that wasn't to restore her software as well. That was just to physically put the hard drive in the system and, and verify that it was working and it was ready to have the software reinstalled. And uh, she was telling me about it. And I'm like, yeah, that's ridiculously overpriced. So I went over to her and her husband's house and I did it for them for 75 bucks. And I even restored their software. Because um, generally, once you run the in, uh, get the hard drive swapped out, restoring the software from the OEM disks or the OEM recovery partition or whatever the case may be, is a fairly automated process. So you just kick it off and let it, let it do its thing until it's done. It's not like you generally have to babysit it, especially if it's an OEM system like an HP or a Dell or something like that. They make it pretty quick and painless to re-image the system using their recovery software. Um, so I didn't understand why Geek Squad wanted to charge her 400 bucks just to swap out the physical hard drive itself. And that didn't include uh, installing all of her software again. So yeah, I wouldn't go that route if at all possible. Uh, generally, if you find a small, you know, uh, mom and pop, quote unquote, uh, computer shop, somebody like that, they'll be more reasonably priced and their turn turnaround time, time to get it back to you would probably be a lot quicker as well. The Geek Squad folks tend to get really backed up because a lot of people do go to them. Um, so you might be waiting a few days to get your computer back. And that's never any fun to be without your computer for a few days, especially if it's the only one you have. All right, so wrapping up this episode, the last thing I wanted to talk about this week was something that I personally did recently to improve my workflow, and it was because it was something that was long overdue. 
As I mentioned a few moments ago, um, here in my studio, I have my 27-inch 5K Retina Display iMac. It is a late 2015 model that I bought in early 2016. And I absolutely love this computer. Uh, this was one that you could upgrade the RAM yourself. You couldn't do the hard drive yourself unless you were really brave, <laughs> which I was not. Uh, but you could do the RAM yourself because uh, Apple has a port uh, door on the bottom of the, because this is an all-in-one computer where everything's built into the monitor. And there's a door at the bottom of the monitor on the backside that you can remove. And that's how you get to the RAM so that you can upgrade it. Once you get that cover off, then the memory sticks are right there. The, so the slots for them are right there. There's four slots. And it takes the same size memory as a laptop does or the Mac Mini, which run is all, the Mac Mini is basically a laptop and a cube. Um, so one of the first things I did when I bought this was I put 64 gigs of RAM in it. Now, this computer at the time had what they called the Fusion hard drive. So it was a 24 gigabyte solid state hard drive that was married with a one terabyte regular hard drive, platter style hard drive. So basically what Apple did with this design was they put the Mac OS operating system on the 24 gigabyte sliver and then everything else ran on the platter drive and the system was configured so that the operating system saw the entire thing as a single hard drive when it was actually physically two separate hard drives, a very tiny one and then the massive one terabyte drive. So I didn't do the hard drive on this one myself because iMacs are very difficult to take apart. You have to be extremely careful because it's a computer where everything is built into the monitor. And I didn't want to risk damaging anything. I took it to Micro Center, which they are an authorized repair facility for Apple. They're Apple authorized and certified. They can do warranty work for Apple stuff there and all of that good stuff. Now, back when I bought this in 2016, I took it to Micro Center and I bought a Crucial Labs uh, one terabyte solid state hard drive, the two and a half inch size, um, like a standard laptop takes because the iMacs basically have like uh, laptop hardware inside them as well. And I paid Micro Center a $50 fee to take out the old hard drive and put the new one in for me. And then I took it from there. I took it back home and installed the operating system and all of that. Um, which was great and a great bargain. So I got a one terabyte solid state drive at the time. I think it still cost me less than 200 bucks, like 120, 130, 140 bucks for a one terabyte hard drive, solid state hard drive from Crucial Labs, and then $50 to have them install it for me. And then I was good to go. So then I had a reasonably fast iMac with uh, 64 gigs of RAM and a one terabyte solid state drive instead of a one uh, terabyte platter style hard drive. Now, Apple has since changed their policy and they've told all of their authorized repair centers that you're no longer allowed to do hardware upgrades for customers, which I think stinks. And it's because Apple wants to gouge you on their high markups for the upgrades when you order your system. They want to be able to tack on a few hundred extra dollars for something that's basically a $50 upgrade, um, which I, I think is a bit of a stinker. I've never liked the fact that Apple does stuff like that to their own customers. But what are you going to do? I mean, your hands are basically tied if you want to use Apple hardware, which I do prefer to use. 
So anyways, at the time, uh, that was a quick and easy upgrade, and it wasn't even a super expensive upgrade. But now, move forward to 2021, and my iMac is getting long in the tooth, and it's starting to have performance issues, and it's starting to have screen issues and everything else. And so recently, I went out and bought my wife and I each the new 2020 M1 Mac Minis. Now, my wife had previously had a late 2012 Mac Mini like the one I have here, um, and she had gotten hers as a refurbished model on Amazon a year or so ago for a couple hundred bucks. So it was a good deal, and I upgraded the hard drive in it for her to a solid state one terabyte drive, and I also upgraded the RAM in it for her to 16 gigabytes of RAM. Now, because hers was starting to have issues where it would randomly reboot itself, I told her, I said, you know, it's probably the logic board starting to go bad. We need to look at getting you a replacement machine before this one totally dies. So that's what we did a week ago was we went to Micro Center and we picked up a couple of the new M1 Mac Minis, brought them home and set them up. And man, I can tell you the difference is night and day. Now, granted, her old Mac Mini, as well as the one I have sitting here on the desk, are late 2012 models. So they're... I think they're core i5 or i3 Intel processors. I think they're i5, if I remember correctly. Um, You know, and they're a few years old now. So, you know, some things are to be expected. But I'm telling you, the difference between running an Intel-based Mac and an Apple Silicon M1-based Mac is night and day. The new M1 Macs are just ridiculously fast ridiculously power efficient. They run super quiet. Now, both of our M1 Mac minis have a fairly decent size exhaust port on the back, which has a fan and all of that stuff. But uh, we've been running them for over a week now, and I have never heard the cooling fan run one time. I know it's run because every once in a while I'll stick my hand back there and I'll feel the air coming off the back of it, you know, exhausting the warm air out of the chassis, but you don't hear the fan. It just runs so, so quiet. And the other big thing is, is just the difference in performance overall. Not only is the Apple M1 silicon processor ridiculously fast compared to the Intel processors, and I'm not saying that to bash Intel, it's just Apple's got a fantastic design with their own uh, Apple silicon CPUs and GPUs. But the other thing that I've noticed is even though my new Mac mini only has 8 gigabytes of RAM and a 512 gigabyte hard drive, it is just ridiculously fast compared to my iMac even, which is newer than my my old Mac mini. The iMac's considerably newer, and yet especially when it comes to editing video and Final Cut, my Mac mini just performs night and day faster than my 27-inch iMac with its 64 gigs of RAM. I mean, it's just crazy. And the other thing that I've noticed, and it's got to be the way the architecture is designed because Apple designed everything themselves, so they made all of the hardware components. You know, they made sure everything was optimized to perform at peak efficiency um, in, you know, in a single contained system. The other thing I've noticed is even with 64 gigs of RAM, if I was editing photos in Lightroom or Capture, not not so much with Capture One, but especially when I was using Lightroom, or if I was editing a video in Final Cut, I would see my RAM constantly creeping down. 
So in other words, I run a utility on my Macs that allows me to see how much RAM is being used all the time up in the taskbar at the top of my screen. And it'll show me at any given time how much RAM I have freed up. Now, right now, as I'm talking to you, I have, I'm sitting in front of the 27-inch 27 27 iMac, and the only thing I have open is a single web browser window, and yet I only have 47.78 gigs of RAM free out of 64 gigs. And it's like, what is eating up all that RAM? Well, it's just that this Intel system is not efficient. And I'm again, I'm not saying that to be mean or to bash Intel. It's not an efficient system. And to give you an example of what I mean, my new 2020 M1 Mac Mini only has 8 gigabytes of RAM. And it doesn't matter if I'm editing photos or like I did yesterday, editing a YouTube video in Final Cut Pro. My Mac Mini is never generally consuming more than like a gig, gig and a half of all of its RAM. So no matter what I'm doing on it, how many things I have going at the same time, I look up at my taskbar and I show that I have 6.7 or 6.6 or 6.8 gigabytes of RAM free. So in other words, the system's only using like a gig, gig and a half of the eight gigs of RAM at any given point in time. And that's just insane. Because on my old Intel Macs, I would every so often run a terminal command that would purge the memory for me. You know, dump, make sure everything that wasn't being actively used was dumped back out of the RAM to free the RAM back up. And on the M1, I don't seem to have to do that. It does a fantastic job of keeping its RAM freed up all the time completely on its own, which is something I absolutely love. And I just really love working with my new M1 Mac Mini. Now, I am hoping to, at some point, get the 13-inch M1 MacBook Pro to really uh, replace my current 13-inch MacBook Pro. And my current one's not super old. It's a late 2016 model, so I've had it for about three years now. And I am planning to give that one to my wife, Tina, so she'll have her own laptop when we go on our trips up north to visit the kids and grandkids and our moms and all of that. And so I'm, I'm planning at some point to get the 13-inch M1 MacBook Pro. And the reason why I want to get that one is because it'll make it easier for me to process my images and videos when I'm on the road, like when I'm on those trips. It's not really convenient to drag my whole desktop set up with me. Um, and whenever Apple does release them at some point later on this year, I am planning to also get the 27-inch iMac with what I believe is going to be called the M1X CPU. I believe Apple's coming out with an, uh, a newer, even more powerful CPU to put in their new generation of iMac all-in-one computer. So a Definitely looking forward to the possibility of being able to get one of those later on this year, as well as the 13-inch MacBook Pro with the current M1 processor. Because, like I said, I just know it's going to be hands down so much faster than my older Intel-based hardware. All right, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this week's episode. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group, and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you are in the group, you are free to post your own original work. 
I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, and once again, this is going to wrap up episode 139 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcasts. Also, remember to stop by on YouTube and check out the Liam Photography YouTube channel and give it a like, share, subscribe, and hit the little bell icon so you can be notified when the next, uh, as each new video drops. There's also the Forgotten Piece of Georgia and Forgotten Pieces of Pennsylvania YouTube channels. You could check those out as well. If you'd like to pick up a signed copy of my first book, The Forgotten Pieces of Georgia, the Northwest Counties, you can do so at the liamphotography.net online store. Or if you want an unsigned copy, you can get that at barnesandnoble.com and amazon.com. Now, one last thing I did want to mention before I let you go today is this Friday um, at the end of this week, um, you will have the opportunity if you are subscribed to the Latitude Photography Podcast to hear the interview that I did with Brent Bergram, uh, who is the host of that show. He was kind enough to have me on this week to talk about my Forgotten Pieces of Georgia project as well as the first book. And that episode is expected to release tomorrow, uh, March 19th, 2021. So if you're not already subscribed to his podcast, I encourage you to do so now. It's a fantastic show. He does primarily travel and outdoor photography, but he does talk a lot about making great prints yourself of your images, which is something that he's very passionate about. And he's very gifted and talented at making beautiful prints. So I encourage you to check out Brent's show as well. All right. I will see you all again in another seven days. <laughs>